Today's episode of the Ryan Rosillo Show on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Something uh, that actually, I don't know, was it unpredictable to see that the Celtics didn't want Capella? No, I don't think so. Um, was it unpredictable to see a trade go down between four teams where everybody's like, who's going where? And Am I happy that I have this guy on my team now? Um, I would tell you that Golden State's interest in Andrew Wiggins is unpredictable by many, but I believe it's legitimate, but I don't know if a deal will happen. I'm going to talk a little bit about the NBA trade deadline stuff, but Bill and I are going to do a huge NBA trade deadline pod tomorrow, so make sure you check that one out. I'm going to talk Mookie Betts. Uh, that was very predictable this weekend. Everybody kind of knew he was going to the Dodgers, ran into somebody on Sunday. Hey, he's going to the Dodgers. The deal is done. The deal is done. They're waiting to announce it. I'm going to talk about Mookie here in a very short second. And Carissa Thompson is today's guest. So get a teammate who can help you like Mookie Betts, help you navigate the unexpected like the NL playoffs. Talk to a State Farm agent today. I did a basketball-baseball hybrid read right there, Kyle. So you let the people at State Farm know I'm thinking about them. Impressive. Yeah, Carissa Thompson on the East Coast. Honestly, I probably should have had her on while we're both in the same town, but we're just so excited to talk to her. Super uh, Super Bowl week, Oscars coming up. You got your Oscars pick there, Kyle? Have you seen Parasite yet? I'm so behind. I haven't seen any of these. Bill won't give me screeners, man. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You could just watch it. Um, Fair point. Yeah. I mean, once once upon a time in Hollywood, I'm too excited right now. I'm hyped. You can hear it in my voice. Oh, no, I saw that. I saw that. I didn't need a screener for that one. That's right. That's right. Okay. Today's open was going to be about the Warriors' pursuit and Minnesota's pursuit of trying to pull off some kind of trade. I am hesitant to go too deep into it, considering how dated all of this could be by the time the podcast even releases. And people are like, oh, that aged well. I'm like, well, yes, at 9 a.m. Pacific time, that was what was going on. So I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later on, give myself a little window here. But I'm going to start with Mookie Betts. I grew up a Red Sox fan. I was at Yaz Day in 83. I was at game two of the ALCS in 86. I was almost trampled in the 86 World Series outside of Fenway and then went across the street to a bar and drank a million ginger ales while my dad, um, <laughs> who doesn't drink, was just sitting there with me and we were like, hey, uh, you know, it wasn't like he was going to get hammered in front of me or something, but I was 10. Or 11. Yeah, I was 11 at that point. So, you know, it was a good time during the uh, the home games. The Red Sox actually won one of those games. So, I was there for that one. Um, I've, I've gone to Red Sox games my whole life. I used to drive by myself down from Vermont to go to opening day. Uh, and then, you know, once I started doing it every day and working in Boston, 03, 04, 05, and some of the TV stuff through 08 and 09, you know, it definitely goes away a little bit. And then my first job ever on the air was the 2002 Trenton Thunder, which were not the Yankees then. It was their last year affiliated with the Boston Red Sox. So I thought it was even cooler, like, man, I'm, you know, the Red Sox. So it does go away a little bit when you talk about it every day. I think the guys that where it doesn't go away from, like, I feel like Bill is still, you know, live and die with it all the time. I used to be that way. I don't know what's better. I definitely feel healthier, not freaking out about stuff all the time. But sometimes I miss it, too. I miss the emotion of 705 first pitch and hanging on every single at bat and watching all this stuff and figuring a lot of stuff out uh, because that's what happens. You just watch hundreds of games and you start figuring some of the stuff out. And I was able to go to the World Series in 18. 
Um, I went in 13 of the clinching game. So I've been really lucky. I've been lucky to share this with my dad because that's a lot of what it was about. You know, my love for the Red Sox and learning about it through my dad's love of it and Ted Williams being his guy. So to see Mookie traded by this ownership group, there's a bunch of things that I want to get to, and I'm going to start with this, okay? Now, if Mookie didn't want to play in Boston, then there's really nothing you can do. And we can talk about a gap of $100-plus million in what Mookie wanted to sign for and what the Red Sox are offering, but until he's actually a free agent, which would have been a year from now, you don't really have to do this deal, okay? But if he never wanted to play in Boston again after this season, then there's really not much the Red Sox could do. Bloom, the new GM, was brought in by this group after they fired Dombrowski, which is still shocking to win a World Series and be fired that soon after. But maybe it isn't shocking as we'll go back and look at some of his moves. I don't really blame him because this isn't his call. It's not like he showed up and goes, hey, guys, I'm glad you hired me. But just the first thing we got to get out of the way, let's get this Mookie Betts guy out of Boston. Of course not. This is an ownership thing. And it's an ownership group that I don't know if they really understand the city the way they think they understand the city, even though they've been there 20 years and it's been nothing but success, which sounds ridiculous. And there's going to be times this sounds ridiculous if you're outside of the Boston market. Now, the two players that they got back from Mookie, again, a 27-year-old guy. He's going into his 27-year-old season, and he's going to be a Hall of Famer. And he's arguably, the last few years, the second-best position player behind Mike Trout, who may be one of the five best players when it's all said and done that we've ever seen. I mean, think about that, okay? So they trade him. A team like Boston, too. Not a team... That's a farm system for everybody else, the Boston Red Sox. And this is a little bit of a reminder for Red Sox fans. Like, hey, remember the 90s when you were insecure and this inferiority complex thing that you used to have all the time? Hey, doesn't it feel good to kind of feel that again? Because that's what this feels like. Two players that are coming back. Alex Verdugo, who I picked up on my fantasy team, which is the only reason I even know anything about him. Um, his splits are pretty good. The power's to one side. That's not great for Fenway Park. He missed the last couple months. Yes, he's young. Okay, fine. And then in that deal... Maeda, who's a good pitcher, not great, but pretty good. Uh, had a good whip last year for the Dodgers, but he's 31. He goes to Minnesota, and then Minnesota flips this Gratterall prospect who's a big right-handed pitcher. So those are the two players that you got back from Mookie Betts. Now, we can talk about, oh, he's going to walk, or you never know. I think one of the most overrated or maybe overstated things that's said all the time on baseball transactions is when writers say, well, you know, trade him now because of the deadline you're going to get less. If this is what you're getting, then just wait until the deadline. I don't think that's that complicated. I really don't. You got an outfielder who maybe is going to play every day in Verdugo, and I'm not saying he's a bad player. He isn't, but you're not sure yet. And a pitching prospect, and these are his numbers on Gratterall. There's a rumor out there that he threw 104 miles an hour in a minor league game. That sounds a little bit like the gyro ball, but he did throw 100, 100-plus in a couple of the games that I watched when I was watching clips this morning. I was researching the hell out of this guy. He's 53rd in one prospect ranking. That means 53rd overall, like the top 100 stuff that they do. Um, he's 83rd in another prospect ranking. And here's my favorite number, is he's listed between 180 and 265 pounds on different websites. Because if we know one thing about really young pitchers that have already had injury history, when you're huge, it always works out. Here's another incredible uh, scattering report that I read on him is that he's a plus fastball, maybe a plus plus fastball, a plus slider, um, a marginal changeup, and yet he projects to be a number three starter or even better, worst case scenario, late innings guy or a closer. What the hell is left? In that evaluation, that's like looking at a position guy going, he could lead off, get you some bags, might hit 200, bat ninth, could bat third, hit 330, or maybe fourth with 50 to 55 home runs. 
There's nothing else left on that. Oh, and by the way, he missed all of 16 and half of 17 with the elbow injury, and he missed two months last year with another impingement is how it was considered. So again, if you're telling me that, oh, the deadline, you're not going to get as much without the year control that the Dodgers would have, I would argue more teams, maybe bigger market teams that have had a playoff drought that feel like they're close, that there would be more teams bidding for Mookie the last two months of this, that if this is the best you're going to do, those two players, then you needed to do better. Now, David Price was in this deal, and David Price was also thrown into this with cash, which makes it even worse. Here are some facts on David Price. When he was signed, he was the third highest paid baseball player in all of baseball. That's a huge mistake. Anytime David Price is the third highest paid player, you screwed up. He's still the ninth highest paid baseball player this season. He was offered 50 plus million more by the Red Sox than the second highest offer. That's a horrible read by the front office and ownership at that time. Price was miserable the entire time. He got a little bit of the J.D. Drew treatment because Drew had a couple home runs against the Indians, and then everybody forgot how bad his overall contract was with the Red Sox. And Price, a bit of the same thing, never liked it, never wanted to pitch in Boston in the first place, but Dombrowski went ahead and did it. And the Price deal actually led to the Red Sox having to try to figure out a way to get below a tax that nobody cares about in Boston. No one cares that an ownership group who, yes, four rings is buying up every piece of property around Fenway Park. And I'll admit it, like, it's just a different thing where I think some of the real born and bred Boston people look at it and go, all right, you're winning, but it just feels so damn cheesy now. And I'm not just going pink hats. I'm not just talking about the Red Sox Nation card that you had to pay for to carry around. I'm not just talking about everybody that went from the top to anyone who did some plumbing work having a ring in 2004 or... Um, buying up every single piece of property around Fenway where the locals are like, all right, enough with this, you guys. And then as you're acquiring all this other stuff, you decide to let Mookie Betts walk. Now, the Evaldi contract was bad, four years, $68 million. No one cared at that point because he was really impressive in the 18-inning game and was great in the playoffs in 18 all along. Sale, who was a better pitcher at five years, 145 and cheaper than Price, and that's looking like a bad deal. But the Price deal set this up. Now, positional contracts historically are always terrible. If you go through the top 19, because we have 19 baseball players that have signed $200-plus million contracts to this point. Now, it's too early on Trout. Harper's one of the most overrated players in baseball. He's making three thirty. dollars um, Stanton, too early to tell. Garrett Cole, obviously too early to tell. Machado. Alex Rodriguez's extension was terrible. Arenado, too early. The first A-Rod contract. Again, this is weird, too, because if you're complaining about bigger contracts, this should have been happening probably five or six years ago with the money that baseball is making. You may not talk about baseball. Baseball may not be on social media. There is no this league reaction to a baseball trade anymore, or never was. But it's still making so much money because of local TV rights and just going, hey, look, it may not be as popular nationwide, but I know in St. Louis I'm going to have the top-rated television product for six straight months, and that's worth a lot of money. And so these owners have still been making all this money, but the contracts, I would argue, have not really ever caught up. And when I asked Manfred about this, he got mad at me. And when I asked Tony Clark about it, he got mad about this whole thing. And this is years ago at the San Diego All-Star Game. And guess what? I was right. I was right then, and I'm right now. Let's keep looking. Miguel Cabrera is going to get paid four more years. Bad contract. Pujols is still getting paid two more years. Bad contract. Robinson Cano is getting paid four more years. Bad contract. Joey Votto, he's going to get paid through 2023, Joey Votto's 36 years old now and has hit 27 home runs his last two years combined. Um, beyond Votto, let's go. David Price, terrible deal. Prince Fielder still getting paid this year, hasn't played since 2016. Uh, Joe Maurer, $184 million. He retired a couple years ago 
They moved his position, and yet it's still, you know, he hit for average. He's a 306 hitter, never had 200 hits in a season. Home run numbers, the last, uh, let's see here. We'll go the last five years he played from 31 to 35. He had 25 and 28, 38 home runs. I know he's never a big home run guy. 28 one year, the only year he ever hit more than 20 home runs. But you know, you're sensing a theme here. They're all terrible contracts. So you could argue, well, positional contracts, Ryan, you just told us why they shouldn't have done this deal with Mookie. I think Mookie had a chance to be different. I really do. We don't know what that number was. And again, I cannot hammer this point home enough. It's If it's Verdugo and Gratterall, you can wait. And if I'm Bloom, and I know I'm probably going to get fired from this job anyway at some point because that's the way it works. You have to go Jordan Belfort style going, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. Because if Friedman was your boss in Tampa, everyone in Boston thinks you got worked on this thing. And if you can't get one Dodgers prospect out of this deal and they end up with Mookie Betts, like, can you imagine what the Dodgers front office is doing right now and the way they look at each other going, are you kidding me? We didn't give up, give up Kent Maeda, and they paid us some cash to take on Price, who's probably going to be good for us. That's, that's the kind of thing where you go, I am going to be defiant about this. I'm not going to do it until the trade deadline. To finish up here, if Mookie didn't want to ever play in Boston again, then I'm not saying they had that many options. But they still had more options than these two players before the season starts and could have likely gotten something as good and then understood the landscape of everything a lot better before the actual trade deadline. I've read from baseball writers that know far more than I do, who I respect a lot, have said he owed this to the union. I think that's playing the results, and that this gives the Red Sox a ton of financial flexibility. Financial flexibility for who? No one as close to as talented as Mookie Betts. And the last time the Red Sox got like really worried about perception, they went out and paid Carl Crawford $140 million, totally backfired. John Lackey's up and down all over the place. He got kind of that redeem treatment because of 2013 and what they did. But they overspent on guys to try to go, hey, look, everybody, like we're into this. This move makes Red Sox fans feel like it's the 1990s all over again when the ownership then was trying to argue that it was a mid-market team and there were certain players they couldn't afford. And it was never true, and it's never been less true than it is now. That franchise prints money. They acquire all sorts of things. And unless there's far more that we don't know, and just because Mookie may have asked for 400 plus million, it doesn't mean that's what he's going to get. The old Boris rule. Boris was asking or planning 500, 400 million for Harper, he ended up getting 330 because he had to get above the 325 for um for Stanton's deal. But this is, I just don't know if the Red Sox ownership understands this is the kind of thing that people will actually forget about the ring. I know that sounds nuts, but they'll go, no, like you guys are gonna be cheap now. That's not gonna work. Before we get to Carissa Thompson from Fox, I want to remind you the big game might be over, but the action isn't slowing down just yet. As one football season ends, another one begins. Celebrate the kickoff of the new professional football season starting this weekend with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy football. Draft your lineup and feel the sweat like never before. Every run, throw, and catch mean more with a DraftKings lineup on the line. It's simple. Just draft your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. So if you've been thinking about trying a new type of one-day fantasy, 
fantasy football. Now is the time to play because nothing adds to the sweat of watching the games quite like having a shot or over $100,000 in prizes. Download the DraftKings app now. Use the code Russillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. New users enter code Russillo during sign-up and play for a shot at $100,000 in prizes this weekend. That's code Russillo and play for a shot at $100,000 in prizes this weekend only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. She's one of the best people on television, and she's uh, one of my best friends, and I'm thrilled to have her on the podcast. I think we were just to the point where the friendship was like, no, I'm not going to have you on. That would be weird, and now I felt (laughs) weird about never having you on. So from Fox Sports, Carissa Thompson, what's up? Hi. I know. I said, why don't you ever invite me on your podcast? Like That would be weird if I had you on my podcast. Like, Why would that be weird? We're not allowed to also be friends and podcast partners. I'm just upset that I don't host with you every week. In fact, your show would be canceled after that. Thank you for having me. No, I, I never know. Have been I never on a know. Podcast together? I just, uh, no, I don't think we, I don't think we have. I think it's one of those things where I can't tell if people are going to like it or they're going to after five minutes. They're like, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. no, no husband, no problem. I don't know. It's a huge success. No husband, no problem. That was some of our first content that we ever pushed out. How did we ever uh, end up living together? Because I don't know that I would have predicted that when we co-hosted a test run of Numbers Never Lie, which my favorite Numbers Never Lie story is that. So Carissa's brought over to, to host this new ESPN show, and it was staffed a certain way. And actually, Numbers Never Lie sort of morphed into his and hers, which then became the six for Michael and Jamel, which is an amazing origin story. But there were like 20 of us in the room and the guy running the show looked at all of us that were sort of like test dummies to try to just mix and match different people on the air. And he goes, you know, just so everybody knows, no one's position is safe. This is an open tryout. (laughs) Including you, Aaron Schott. (laughs) Right. And I'm thinking to myself, that's a ton of bullshit. Like you hired Carissa specifically for this show. Everybody knows about it and everybody knows who you're going to be co-hosting it with. But I just thought it was kind of like a funny, fake, motivational TV lesson. So that's how we sort of first met. I forgot. Well, actually, is it bad that I forgot that you were even with us at the beginning of that? No offense. No, because I only, I, I did, only did, did you like, have like a real job at ESPN? Yeah, I was doing that uh, radio show with that guy, Scott. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You may have heard of it. Uh, why were you even brought into the mix on that? Because you're smart? I'm confused. I don't know. It was, it was such a... Like, hey, you should do this. It's, I'm pretty sure it was an agent thing, but like, this could be really good for you. Like, oh, here it? we go. How much time do we have? I know. I know. I think it was like a. Um, either way, well, we weren't that we weren't that close to the ESPN until I was about to leave, and we, then we got closer because Sarah, and then you guys were neighbors, and then I left and went to LA, and then I begged you to come out to LA because it was boring without you, and here we are now. <laughs> it all works no, it's out. funny but how how did we end up living together is that what the initial question was no, Which, by but, the way a great graphic lower third how did they start living together that would be a good graphic i don't know what your graphics package is on this podcast um i do think <laughs> that the funny part that you just said is that we weren't really close until you get to i considered you a closer friend then than maybe you did me which leads to all the friend zone jokes because i thought we were pretty close at that end of that connecticut run but I guess not. No, the, we were we were close-ish, but definitely not as close as we are now. After living together and after you protected me from Todd Poole, I mean, then it was just the beginning of a lifelong friendship. Does Do everyone wanna... know the Todd Poole story? 
do we want to do the stalker story here in Malibu? Yeah, I mean, do I don't know. Let's like let's get somebody interested in what we have to say. Nothing gets people more interested than stalkers. You know what I mean? Yeah, let's talk stalker. Um, I I moved in with you. I was it was a place right up. We can say it now, right? Because you don't live there anymore, so it doesn't matter. Right? Yeah, two zero four five zero Pacific <laughs> Coast Highway. So I you're gone, and I had just moved in, so my house wasn't ready. I just moved in. I was hesitant to live with anybody. And then it was kind of like, hey, I'm barely there. It's on the water in Malibu. And then after like a week, I was like, this is actually pretty sick. And it was right during NBA playoffs starting up. So I'd be watching the games the whole time. And then I went down to Mastro's. I grabbed a steak. I drove back up. I come back. Rich. And then right as I enter the front part of the house, which is right on the street, the motion lights go on. And there's a guy named Todd Poole standing behind garbage cans waving at me. <laughs> Which you don't know his name is Todd. I'm, I can laugh at this now because I'm so far removed from it and not uh, in a you know precarious position, thanks to you. But um, I am in Buffalo about to do an interview. I'm asleep because at this point, the time difference, I wake up in the morning being like, all these text messages from you being like, call me, call me. I call you and you're like, I uh, don't know how to tell you this, but there was a guy here waiting for you last night. And I'm like, uh, did I know him? You're like, definitely not. So then you pick up the story from there. How, how do we find out that his name is Todd Pool? Yeah. So, and I'll, I'll admit some stuff I don't think I've ever admitted before. And I know I've said it to you, but I've never said it to anybody else, but I get out of the car and the lights go on and I see this guy and he's got like dad jeans, dad sneakers on. He's got, you know, what would kind of remind you of like an old gap nineties hoodie that you had been fired up about owning, you know, in the early to maybe the mid nineties. And then he had kind of like a dad hat on, and then he had a red suitcase. And one of the things I did notice, and this is always weird, he had a brand new luggage tag for a check bag. And I thought that's was so like, bizarre that you were able to point that out, but okay. But I just, I sized the whole thing up. Yeah, I don't know why. I just started looking at everything because I was trying to figure out what was real and what wasn't. So I'm like, hey, uh, hi. And he's like, hi. And he was real calm about it, even though he was hiding behind garbage. And he kind of like, steps out in front and so we're standing there like in this little you know granite patio thing that's that the entrance is to your your gated door and he's like hi and i'm like who are you he's like i'm friends with carissa it's her birthday this week i'm here to surprise her and it was your birthday like the next day correct Mm -hmm. it was okay and feel free to jump in because i don't i don't i'll i'll make it no but you're but but this is this is your brother where you you discover this man okay so yeah so he says, he's like, I'm, I'm here to see Carissa. <laughs> yeah, I'm here to see Carissa. I'm here to surprise her for her birthday. And I'm like, who are you? And he's like, Todd, Todd Poole. I'm like, oh, hello, Todd. I'm Ryan. I shake his hand. And the first thing that I'm admitting here is that I selfishly, I'm like, well, I don't know everything about Carissa. Like, we're just becoming closer. I don't know her friends from home. I don't know if she's got like a weird cousin. I don't know what's going on. But I go, this guy doesn't have a car. And now he's going to be staying here for a week. And she's gone. And I'm going to have to drive this guy around. When I get sandwiches, he's going to be like, hey, can I go get a sandwich with you? So for like 15 seconds, I was incredibly selfish about, I can't believe Carissa didn't tell me this slob is going to be staying with me. And now when we go for a sandwich run, I got to deal with this guy. That was like the first 15 to 30 seconds. But if we don't get a vitamin gene, I'm going to have to buy him one. Those aren't cheap. Right. Right. So you, so the, the next day you would call me and you were like, there's this guy, he's there. He said he knew you. And I said, well, how do you know her? He's like, well, we communicate on Instagram. And I'm like, okay, well then show me the messages. And he's like, well, I can't actually show you the messages because they're not there. 
So I he's said, making let me see up the DM. Yeah. You say that to him. Yeah. Let me see the DM. He doesn't right. have them. No, he goes, I was like, look, I go, how do you know her? He's like, well, we, we DM. And I go, oh, okay. So you don't know her from home. He's like, no, I just flew in from Canada. I was like, all right, well, that's, that's weird. And I go, okay, you know, I go, let me see the DMs. He's like, I don't, well, I don't have it. So now I'm like, hey, dude, and I'm, it, there's a weird part here where now it shifts from selfishness to pity where I'm thinking, oh, this guy got catfished and somebody's messing with Carissa and then they found this guy and now he's getting catfished and it's a fake Carissa account. I go, let me see the DMs. He's like, well, I don't have any. I'm like, wait a minute, you don't have any? You don't even have them like from a fake Carissa account? I go, how do you know she's talking to you? Because at first he's like, well, I don't have her cell phone number. And then I call you. I'm like, hey, there's this guy. He does it. his whole story. Every time he said something, it would then quickly fall apart. And then when he was like, well, she kind of talks to me through her messages. She just doesn't know it. I was like, I'm okay, applied. we're done. <laughs> we're good here. At what point did you say you were my boyfriend or a cop? Well, there's crazy enough video from your surveillance cameras on this where you can oh, see. There's it two and a half hours of this video, which I wish in this moment it wasn't a podcast so we could show it. The, the part that really you can see it where all of a sudden I'm like, okay, no more chances. I've asked you to explain yourself. And now I know you're, you're awful. You're a crazy stalker who showed up at this woman's house. And you can see me like turn. Cause I started looking behind me to see if I could, if he was going to run at me, like I wanted to make sure I wouldn't fall on this ledge. And I sort of like changed the way I'm standing and look, I'm not trying to act like some tough guy, but I think I would have beat this guy up. Um, you you say, definitely would have beat Gap up. <laughs> right. Well, so maybe I said, take no, your hands Gap, out. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, then I said I was a cop and I was your boyfriend. I don't think he really believed either, but then he left and walked down the street to moon shadows. <laughs> no. And I'm only laughing now because obviously at the time it was traumatic to say the least. And I moved immediately following the situation because, um, uh, I fielded the advice of some people that I trust and they were like, uh, leave immediately. But thank God you were there. And I always think about that. Like had I, you were only saying, at my house for what, like a couple weeks until your place was ready. And I was gone for, you know, a day here and there, but not for a long period of time. So the fact that you intercepted him was somebody was looking out for me in that particular case, not you, but somebody else. And I just, I don't know. I was like forever appreciative of that to say the least. And then, um, we both moved out and the rest is history. And nobody knows where Todd Pool is because we couldn't do anything about it because he will, quote, willingly left the property. So there's that. Yeah, that's right. Todd's no one, probably no listening one, as we speak. I called a couple people and uh, they were like, no. They're like, well, he didn't want anything to do with you. I then went back to selfish mode after I said, you know, I should have just beaten him up and then I would have been the hero. No. And I could have, no. I could have totally, it would have been a massive PR win for me. I would have changed the whole perception. No, probably not. Probably not. You, it's already a PR win, but you, you came to my, my aid by being there. What a weirdo. Um, so yeah, so that's, you saved my life, obviously. Um, cause who knows what would have happened. And that's not even me being funny. Yeah, that's like right, seriously not. saying like you saved my right. life. So I think what the moral of the story here is you're a hero. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure. I'm not sure about that. If you were bigger, who knows? Who knows what had happened? Um, who knows? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's top cool. And then from then on, then I like refused to be alone and I needed you around at all times. So I would have you do remedial tasks and help me out with everything in my house that, cause I didn't have a husband and that's the beginning of no husband, no problem. And then we, what else happened to us after that? 
Uh, you got engaged. I did not. <laughs> um, we've we've commiserated over a lot of um, failed relationships, more on my end um, than anything else. You give really good relationship advice, though. I have to say, I that. do. You're a yeah. good person to go to. You're very level headed about it. Yeah, right. Um, and I think I think people that are that are usually bad at their own stuff are really good uh, helping everybody else out. So that's why. Is that how that works? <laughs> Maybe, maybe that's why I give good advice to that. Can we talk about your start? Because I don't think many people, I think people just go, hey, hot, let's give her a TV job, done and done. Um, it doesn't quite work out that way. Talk about your start. I just said talk about in a question, which I hate that I just did. So um, Look, look um, if you've seen an IBM commercial, you know my job's not that easy. Kidding. Exactly. Um, let's see, let's start. I started in human resources because I just wanted a job in the Fox Sports building. That was the only job available. So I lied to get the job. Then I admitted that I lied to get the job. And that's why I got the job, if that makes sense. I had a horrible interview with the HR vice president. I said, um, I really want to work with people and I really want to work in HR. And it was an awful interview. And I walked out of the interview and then he had given me his business card and he's like, oh, we'll be in touch. So I called him immediately and he answers the phone and he's like, hello. And I'm like, hi, it's Chris. And he's like, who? And I'm like, exactly. We just had an interview. It was awful. Here's what I really want to do. I don't want to be in, I don't want to work in HR. I want to be on TV, but I know it's a long, uh, you know, path to get there, but I promise I'll be a great assistant, blah, blah, blah. He later tells me he gives me the job because I was honest. And that's what HR is all about <laughs> being honest. So <laughs> I then would, I would work in HR during the day. Um, I'd be lying if I said I was a great HR employee, which, by the way, I warned him that I wasn't going to be. So in fairness, I was pretty transparent. How I would old only pay you? attention like half the time. I'd say I was at, right out of college. So I, what, what are you, 22 when you're right out of college? Well, I don't know. You maybe? did the UCSB thing and then you were bartending, right? You know, look, Ryan, if you're jealous of my career path as a bartender at 634, just say it now. Didn't you bartend? You did. For 10 years. I know yeah. Oh, whoa. Sorry. I didn't mean to yeah. insult you. Um, no, bartending is a great job, by the way. The best, especially in college. Let's think about this. You want to make money and you want to go out. So just do both. And then you're like the most popular person because you give your friends free drinks. So no brainer to me. So I think I was maybe 22 when I started at Fox. And so I would, I don't know, because you're sure still you were 22. Really uh, UCSB. Maybe have a cocktail or seven on my lunch break. And then I'd come back and not really be focusing on my job. But it's fine. It's not important here. I would go up to highlight the night, log tape, do all that kind of stuff, like learn the production side of things. And then I got um, an opportunity to go to Denver. We love Denver. Who loves Denver more than you and I? Todd I don't Helton. know who they are, but get, get in the line behind us. Exactly. So we Todd Pools from uh, Canada anyway. He probably liked Denver, but you know, it's different. Well, you know, we'll look forward to seeing him never again, hopefully. Somebody call nine one one. So I went to Denver, became a production assistant, and then they had a girl on air there for the Rockies and they didn't renew her contract. And so I was like, just let me do this, uh, or like a stand up. At the time I didn't even know what a stand up was. And then they just like kept letting me do little things here and there and then I became the Rockies reporter and I would travel with the team and it was a great team at the time. Like but like such a good group of people, Troy Tulowitzki, Matt Holliday, um, Todd Helton. And like, it was just a really great place to start. And then I came back to LA and worked on the best damn sports show. And then I started doing sidelines. So I would work big 10. That's big 10 Carissa. Not everyone big knows 10. when I refer to big 10 to Carissa, 
I was pushing like 165. Um, I was very, you know, I really enjoyed carbs at the time. So, um, you know, big, big hit in the Midwest. I worked the Big Ten Network on Saturdays. I would do a game there. And then I would do an uh, NFL game on Sundays and then come back and work at Best Jam during the week. And I was very lucky. But uh, hey, did they didn't did Deadspin do a thing on you, which is ironic now when you think about Deadspin. Didn't they do like a thing, a side by side of talking about you getting? Uh, yeah, yeah. Where they, the headline was "Suicidal Path to Frumpyville." I'll never forget. I was scarred for life because I was like, "Oh, I don't want to be the blonde sideline reporter. I want to be taken seriously." So after um, like a Friday show on Beth Dam, I dyed my hair dark. Like, like when I say dark, it was black. And then I went and did a college football game Saturday, and then I showed up on the NFL sideline. Um, with black hair on Sunday. I will forget it. I was in Chicago and I had black hair and I was like, oh, I'm going to be taken even more serious if I put glasses on. So I looked like Lisa Loeb and it was quite the contrast from Stay. the Friday. I had left the best damn set looking like um, a fake Lisa Durgan to uh, Lisa Loeb. And that's how that headline came about. And I'm like, oh shoot, Fox is so mad at me. They were like, uh, can you let us know next time you want to completely change your look? So I dyed my hair right back to blonde, which anyone that's ever tried to go from black to blonde knows it ends up in that awesome orange face. So that was a good look. And then the next headline the next week was um, like something like returns to Bonerville. I'm like, oh, God, that's good. AJ. What was that guy's name? AJ something. Yeah. yeah. I mean, granted, different. Yeah. They had a different uh, mission statement as as a website, I would say, back then versus now. But I do think that's kind of ironic that if you were to tweet, are out, they hey, still the around? Yeah, but sort of. Um, you know, hey, if I, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. I'm afraid, like, I don't want to get in a fight with anybody about it, so I honestly don't know the answer. But if you were to say on a radio show a year ago, hey, the WNBA loses money, um, then it'd be like, fire this guy, and yet they went, Carissa Thompson, one way ticket to Frumpyville, right back to Bonerville. And look, of all the Carissa oh, yeah. Thompsons, you know how I feel. Like Big Ten Carissa is my favorite one. It's ranked number one. It's a, it's Big a one Ten seat. Carissa. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, she, there was a lot to love. And I, you know, it was a time in my life. Who's, maybe I'll go back to it. I don't know. I, I fluctuate a lot in weight. You know, I get, I get different um, opinions on people who like me. Big Ten Carissa or uh, Pac-12 Carissa. Very different. You should do maybe more of a health and wellness type thing on your Instagram feed. Just focus on that. Uh, We're not a trainer. No, because either deadlift stuff or <laughs> whatever. I just every time I see somebody's thing, be like, I'm just really. You and I should go to. No, we should. You will never. You've never invited. First of all, I appreciate the invite to the podcast, but you've never invited me to the gym either. I just don't think I we would be able to take it gym. serious. No, you don't. I do. I want to. See, I want to see your whole thing. I want to see how you walk in. Do you, you, do you use the same locker? Do you have a locker? Do you already have a locker with a lock? Like, no, no. I get, I get dressed at home and then I go in. Um, cause I don't, you get dressed don't at home. Like you don't shower at the gym. Like that's not, you don't like change shower, Never. steam, do all that there. You no. Just, no, no. I mean, we all have our flaws, but I've always been lucky enough that even if I sweat, I don't like smell bad. Like some guys just get a weird pH thing going on. And I've, I've been, you know, I lost my hair, but I'm not a, I'm not a, like a smelly guy. I trade. How long so. are you willing to stay in the workout clothes after a workout? That has become are an you issue. Guys, like, I'm going to go. Yeah. Tell me. Cause I, especially back in Connecticut, 
you know, right after I got done with the radio show, I would go right to the gym and then I would come home, I would cook dinner and then seven o'clock the NBA game start. And then the next thing you know, it's 1am and I would still be in the same stuff. And that's actually not good for your skin. No, so this gross. is a bit of a health. Why would you do that? Thing. I don't know. I just so let's really remember care. the time that I was in Connecticut and I went to Cheesecake Factory. Obviously, as a former employee of Cheesecake Factory, I like to support my company. So I went to Cheesecake Factory with Ryan Bedford, another Ryan, and yep. we see you sitting at the bar, not drinking, drinking water, and you have a stack of papers and highlighters, and you're just taking copious notes. And this is like on a random Saturday. I'm like this guy, always studying, Ryan. Are you yeah, ever I used not to these, the Well, I, I stopped doing that thing in the gym where I would do these printouts. Like that used to be my thing is once I got done with the radio show, I'd have about eight or 10 packets printed out. And then I would read in between sets. And I'm not saying this to be a hardo. It's just what I would do because I felt like it was a time where everybody was leaving me alone and I could get all the reading done that I didn't get done before the show ahead of time. And then I used to love more than anything eating by myself, which has been an option for a while. Uh, and read and and, by myself. I I like, I like to sit at at the bar and read. And that day I was actually, um, I wasn't feeling great. And so I was going chicken parm water and then you two show up and it ended up being one of the rougher nights I've probably, probably ever had. Um, but it was still There was only a couple of those that we had together that we we had in Connecticut together. Is Grant still open? Grant's is closed now. Grants is closed. Oh my God. What a travesty. I know know it sucks because I know you're still a real estate speculator back there. Can I, all right, can I ask you this? Your run at ESPN versus the Fox thing. And and I'm not doing this to be like, hey, dump on one place and and promote the other, but you know, you've worked at the two biggest places in sports and your roles were different. So I, I know you probably enjoy the Fox thing more. You're part of the Sunday broadcast for the Super Bowl. I mean, this is sometimes you have to kind of sit back and be like, oh my God, I'm actually doing this stuff. But what was the biggest difference for you other than just location? Because I know how badly you want to get back to the West. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember growing up and I was always like, oh, I want to work at ESPN. And it was this thing that if I got to ESPN, then I had made it. And I'll never, I mean, I still, I, had, I definitely felt that way when I got the job there. And I didn't know in what capacity they had said something or alluded to this new show, Numbers Never Lie, but it was sort of a, fluid thing as far as like what I was actually going to be doing uh, evidenced by our previous conversation. I didn't even know you were going to be on. So that, once I got that job there, I was like, Oh, I made it. Kind of a thing. And I, my experience with ESPN was different though, because I always say I was at the kids table because once I did numbers never lie. And then that switched over to his and hers. And then I went and Michelle left and I went and did Sports nation. It wasn't like I was an adult at ESPN. I never did a sports center. If you put me on a sports center desk, I wouldn't know what to do. Honestly, like when Sarah would do like three hour sports centers and I would like keep going over to her desk and be like, why are you still working? She's like, why are you not working? Because we didn't have to write scripts after scripts. We were doing cheers and fears and fears or whatever it's called. Like we were had foam fingers on our hands. Like we weren't doing anything that warranted <laughs> sitting there writing for hours and hours. So my time there was, I don't want to like reduce it to fun, but it was kind of more of a, it was a looser role that I had. And then that show got taken back to LA. So then it became Marcellus and I, and it was the same kind of thing where it was very like lighthearted and not a lot of heavy lifting. So although I appreciated ESPN, I never really had that feeling that some people might have where it was like the grind of 
you have to do this and you have to be on this show and you have to be on this show and you're there for hours and hours. Like mine was pretty set and pretty easy. But um, the reason why Fox has always been a place that I continue to call home was just because of how I started there, right? Like working in a administrative position and like knowing people that I work with now from the other side and like seeing that, you know, NFL Sunday show from afar, growing up, watching it, then seeing it from inside the building, but processing their, you know, benefits and paperwork. And then now actually being on with them, it just sort of feels like there's, you know, the full, like, circle and full maturation of sort of how I wanted to, I don't know, always, like, envision my career being was at a place that feels like home, and that's definitely what I have at Fox. And not to say that I didn't enjoy my time at ESPN, it just never felt the same that it does here, you know? And I've been through a lot of crap, and I know I joke about the whole soccer stuff because I, like most things, when something bad happens in my life, I have to find some humor in it in order to get through it. But we all know that also has, like, the whole, you know, picture crap come out and all that stuff. And like, those are like really crappy times. And I'll never forget. Like when I, all that stuff came out, Fox was, you know, my boss was like, get on an airplane. You're coming with us to the NFC championship game. This is when it was in Philly a couple of years ago. And I had no role on the show at the time. It was just like, you just come with us and be with us and be around everybody. And that is where, like who they are as people. So, um, although they are my employer, I definitely consider them family. So, Somebody grab a tissue. Yeah. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to make you more upset. Um, but I, I just no, always no, think, <laughs> no, but like whenever you're on TV or you're at a certain level, you, you kind of become a bit of an inanimate object. Like you, you are a real person, but for the outside world, it's like, well, no, you sort of belong to us. And you know, I don't pretend to be at some kind of level where it's a this massive intrusion into my life. It isn't. Um, and if I don't want to talk to somebody, I'm just not going to talk to anybody for a woman. It's different. Um, and for everything that you've, you've had to go through, um, I just, what would be the best way to explain it? Maybe to a guy that doesn't understand what it is like, and I'm not doing like the whole, Hey, what's it like to be a woman in sports thing, but to be a public figure and to be violated the way that you've been violated. And, you know, I remember being on the phone with you and, I hurt so bad for you. Hysterically crying. Right. Because I just can't imagine. Because all of a sudden you think like, I don't even want to go outside because of what's just happened. Well, it's so embarrassing, right? I mean, you think like these are like private, you know, whatever videos or pictures or whatever that you're sharing with someone that you're intimate with for a long time. And you think, and then everyone's like, oh, you're so, this is what I love. How stupid are you to take those on your phone and this and that? I'm like, okay, then hand me your phone right now. Send me your phone right now. Do you want me to see any of your text messages that you sent? Do you want me to see any emails that you sent? Like, there's a lot of things in our phones that people, that you wouldn't want anyone else to see. So don't give me the shit of like, oh, you shouldn't have even had that in your phone. It's like, well, you have a lot of stuff in your phone that you don't want anyone else to see. So I'm not, maybe I'm naive and thinking like, oh, somebody is interested enough. That's where I think maybe that I, I'm a little off base. That I would think that someone cares enough to go through public records find out where I live and show up at my house and fly from Canada or somebody cares enough to hack into an iCloud to get pictures or videos. Because I'm always like, why would someone give shit about like, my stuff? But then when those two things happened, I had to take a step back and go, okay, well, is this, because I also don't know, this is the part that's so frustrating from like the police standpoint that it's oh, the wild west and trying to find a, a digital footprint. Like you can find forensics and footprints all over the place, but good luck trying to find it in 
in your phone and, and trying to locate um, a hacker, if you will, is really, really difficult because an IP address that they found from an original hacking ended up in Chicago at an old woman's apartment. Like you don't know. And, and I, not to get too off, off base here, but my point is, is that I was frustrated when people were critical of why I even had those to begin with. And I think that the lesson I learned is that, all right, well, nothing is safe. And also you have to, I've, I've sort of just tried to operate in my life of accountability and just own my shit. Like, okay, so yeah, I did that. And I'm a great girlfriend. Next, like try to bring some like, you know, laughter into a situation that's serious. Of course, after the fact, I was like, you know, on the floor for a while and had a hard time like feeling confident. And I don't usually, not to say I'm like overconfident, but I have a hard time like Usually, like, I feel like I'm a pretty confident person, even in my insecurities, but this one was tough for a while to get over, but that's where the employer, you know, like stepped up to the plate and that's where friends, including you and like, you know, some people that are like, it's okay. I'll never forget like big laser calls. And he's like, what are you crying about? It's, you know, this stuff happens all the time. Don't worry about it. Blah, blah, blah. Like just having like people like call you or Michael or, or anybody that I work with and like that, like big brother mentality where it's like, all right, well, that sucks. And, you know, there's still a lot more of this game left to be played. So it was a turnover and I learned never to do that again and, and feel like I was safe. And so maybe some of like the innocence and like is gone, if you will, it sounds dramatic, but um, yeah, I just think that for a guy, it's always going to be different, but I don't, I've never played that. Oh, it's different for a guy and girl. Like there's a lot more opportunities that I might get as a female than you would get as a white male in this industry. So what are you going to like be upset about that? Like, I, I don't play the comparison game. I think that a lot more doors are open for us. It's just, uh, maybe they shut quicker if you don't do a decent enough job to keep it open. Yeah. I Did had always said that makes sense. No, it made a lot of sense. And I, I appreciate for opening up about that. I know we've talked about it, but you know, I didn't know if you'd want to touch on it here, but I know that, you know, I hadn't lived with a girl, I think since I was 18, when we lived together for a couple months and it did, uh, maybe I should preface it this way. Um, there are times I know, and it's not like, you know, look, I have, I have sisters. I'm the oldest of five. Um, you know, I still talk to my mother regularly. I would never pretend as a guy to be like, Oh no, I know what it's like for a woman. But I, I know I've been guilty of that at times where you'll go, okay, no wait, Only women are made fun of on social media. Like I get called stuff every single day, but nobody cares about that. But if you look at some of the things that are said to you guys in this business, you're like, okay, wait a minute. Like this is worse. And when I did live with you, it, it didn't change my mind about what it was, but it was like a real punch in the face, not even reminder, but like a bit of a wake up call to go, you know, as guys, there's just stuff we never really have to worry about. Like if I'm in a parking garage I don't have to really think about it. And when that guy showed up and then everything else that happened to you, it did. I'll just never think about it the same way. I'll never take certain things for granted for women that I maybe did in the past where you'd be like, okay, you know what? Like we all get made fun of, you know? And like this part of the sports thing is being in a male dominated world, like stuff you wish nothing was ever said, but sometimes stuff is going to be said. But at the same time, when you look at the career paths of some people, I'd argue that it's never been a better time for women in sports right now with the opportunities. I don't even know how it could be debated, but if I say that, then some people would be automatically like, who's this male think he is saying that it's better for women in sports now? And I'm saying, no, the jobs, the opportunities are better, but as far as the interaction and, and what you have to put up with 
that'll never, I don't, you know, it's just different. It's just different. And, and I, I don't know that I'm doing the best job of explaining this, but if somebody doesn't like me, they'll be like, Hey, you suck. No. And I appreciate, I mean, it, the thing is, is I don't envy, I don't put myself and people would always say like, Oh, how come you don't like debating? And I'm like, I don't, I'm not, I don't let, I'm not a big advocate of conflict. And that's the part where I can appreciate that you always like, you know, you taking this side on something, Ryan, and you're steadfast and you're well-researched on your position. So you have no problem debating somebody. Like, I don't like that because no matter what, no matter if it's a debate on a sports topic or no matter if it's something that like, if you say, Oh, I would argue that, you know, women have more opportunities than they've ever had somewhere, somehow someone's going to take that statement and twist it around. And then you're, you're bitter and you're angry. It's like, right, uh, you right. can't say anything. You can't say anything without somebody twisting it around and having something negative to say about it. And it comes, it gets to a point where, and maybe, Again, this goes back to my employer has been always like so supportive of like just be you, whatever that looks like. And even if it's you know controversial uh, to somebody else, like as long as they know what the intention behind it was, and as long as I know what the intention was, then like let's not make a mountain, if you will, out of the molehill. It's like I'm so sick of like having to operate under this PC umbrella, and that's why I, I refuse to talk about politics around people that aren't close friends because somehow that's going to be something. And we'll talk about religion, like it's just like too many opportunities for people to make a big deal out of nothing. It's like, just all calm down. The thing I was, I was going to say there, and, and I don't know what's like, what's the right answer, but like when somebody doesn't like me, they go, I don't like you because of this specific thing. But when you're a woman, it'll be like, Oh, Hey, you're just a woman talking sports. And I, I don't know, like one is clearly more offensive, but sometimes I think like, oh, okay, so you're just one of those idiots. Like, you're just one of those guys that think like, I shouldn't be talking up there where I never get to say like, like, oh, hey, you're a white male. I'm tired of you. For me, it'll always right. be, I can't believe you said this about a trade or I can't believe you're, you're ripping the rockets again. And I don't know which one I'd prefer, the more specific one that feels like more targeted or the more general one where I'm like, okay, well, if you're just saying this, then that doesn't make any sense at all um we're gonna do more with carissa here in a second um some rapid fire celebrity questions it's a wireless world and everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair check out wireless earbuds from raycon raycon earbuds start at about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market and they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands you know and raycon's latest model the e25 is their best one yet with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. Raycon's comfortable wireless earbuds are perfect for on-the-go listening and for taking phone calls. They're stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems. The company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities alike. We've got Snoop Dogg in the mix. Melissa Etheridge, for some of you guys that like to keep it a little more country, um, or some rock and roll. Look, all these people are obsessed with them. Pick up a pair and see what the hype is about. I just got a pair, and every time I use wireless earbuds in the past, there's just such a drop-off on the sound quality. It just is. And that's why I've gone back to plug-in sometimes. I got my Raycons, and the drop-off is not even close to what it is with some of the other brands. So now it's time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash Rosillo, R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O. That's buyraycon.com slash Rosillo for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds, buyraycon.com slash Rosillo. Hey, let me, let me shift this. And I want to ask you about the Hollywood part of this because you worked for Extra for a long time. 
and you were grinding, doing these absurd hours, absurd hours, and you're kind of doing some stuff with extra again. How, how different are you, would you say, to the rest of the people that are on the red carpet for the Oscars interviewing the biggest stars in TV and, and movies? <laughs> and yet, I don't know. I, you might be the least impressed, and that's what makes you so good on TV, where other people are like, I can't believe John Hamm is talking to me. Um, and look, John Hamm's great. But how did that, how did that happen for somebody that I think is, is less interested as anyone I've ever met? Well, I appreciate it because you're right. I don't, I'm not impressed. And that doesn't mean that I don't respect the individuals that I've interviewed in the entertainment space. It's just not, I'm not awestruck by Brad Pitt or George Clooney or whatever. Like, but I just look and it, maybe it is my, from my tenure in, in sports where you get to a place where you're like, Oh, that's cool. That's Tom Brady or that's Joe Montana. But I don't know. It just doesn't really, maybe I'm numb inside. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, I just, I got an opportunity to do entertainment because thankfully my boss, Lisa Grigorich, I think she was looking for somebody who had live experience because, uh, she was trying to change things up at, um, extra when Maria left. And so I got paired with Mario, um, Lopez and Tracy Edmonds. And a lot of it was just sort of react to what happens next, like on set. Um, and so they would say like, Oh, what do you think? of so-and-so's outfit. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's not a good outfit. And she's like, okay, well, we can't say that. We have to say we like it. I'm like, well, then why do you ask me if I like there, there had to be a certain <laughs> level of advocating for these stars or else we couldn't get an interview with them later. And then I'm like, well, this, how's this work? Because now I got to lie. And I don't want to lie about what's happening or when I'm on the red carpet, I don't really care what they're wearing, or I don't really want to say they had a great performance because they sucked in that movie. So I learned quickly that I couldn't be honest and that's not a knock. It's just, that's just the game that you have to play. Whereas in sports, you can be critical of a performance, right? You can say like, Oh dude, he sucked tonight. He only had six points and no rebounds, whatever. There's something tangible that you can judge his performance on where it's more objective in Hollywood. Like, do you, do you think that, you know, somebody had a great performance in the movie or not? Um, so I just sort of after a while, I'm like, I'm just going to play the game and do what they asked me to do. But half the times, I didn't even know who I was interviewing. I didn't know who the stars were. Like, I mean, I knew the big ones, but um, so I just got really good at asking like generic questions. And then I would listen to because on the red carpet, like we were like usually like third in line, and I would listen to the outlet before me and whatever questions they were asking. I'm like, oh, okay, that's awesome. So which is probably why my role was reduced after that. Because like Krista, you don't even like entertainment. I'm like, that's not true. I like people. And so like, I would rather ask Ben Affleck on a red carpet about what he thinks about, you know, the, you know, whatever anemic Patriots offense than I would about his performance in the movie. Um, but I so appreciated my time at extra for a lot of reasons. Cause again, it I was talking to Michael Strahan about this one time where it's like becoming multi like faceted, right. Where like, you're not just a sportscaster, like you can be considered an entertainment host. And I think that's always important because I always feel like my job is, you know, not going to, I'm not, my contract's not going to re get renewed or things like that. And I operate from a place, I don't want to say I'm being scared, but I operate from a place of like not knowing if I'm going to continue to have that security. And I think that that's hopefully what keeps me around for a while because I never like to feel like, oh, you made it and you should feel so secure. It's like, no, what other jobs can I take in case this one doesn't work? So that's what entertainment afforded me an opportunity to do is like be looked at hopefully as more than just a sports broadcaster. Even if I didn't know who half the people were, I still like would rather treat them like people 
um, and doing an interview with Margot Robbie and being like, um, how sick of these questions are you? And she's like, very, I'm like, great. Then which ones do you want me to ask you? And she's like, great. I get, so I would gave her the piece of paper of like all the questions I'm supposed to ask her. And she like went through them. She's like, okay, I like this one. I like this one. I like this one. And then the interview is like 10 times better. Whereas I probably shouldn't have done that. Or most people wouldn't because that's not what you're supposed to do. But the interview ends up being better. And her and I were like cool after that. So I don't know. I like think it's hang out about cool? approaching. Yeah. She was like, you can call me whenever you want. Um, I remember I came back from Hawaii after I got I cheated on there um, by my ex-boyfriend and I had to go straight into an interview with Kate Hudson. And I was like crying and she goes, Oh my God, what's wrong? I go, I just got cheated on. This is the interview. And she goes, Oh my God, tell me everything. And you're in a junket and it's like super uncomfortable. And there's like all these publicists in there and they like hold up these little cue cards that say like one minute, two minutes left. And so they hold up like one minute. She goes, put that card down. And so we keep doing like, we keep just talking and she's like, give me your phone. And I give her, her my phone and she puts her number in there. She's like, you call me anytime. She's like, F that guy and we'll go out and we'll get drinks. And you don't and like, that was like the interview and she's awesome and whatever. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just don't think that happy stars like get asked the same questions over and over again. So if you just approach it a little bit differently, you might get fired and you might get a raise. I don't know. Well, they asked you back, so you must have been doing it right. And uh, wait a minute, this is all kind of news to me, though. Like, there at some point could have been a Margot Robbie hangout or a Kate Hudson hangout. Because, I mean, there, whatever tier of friendship I thought we had, I feel like there's this one that I didn't even know existed. There was some like. <laughs> well, we can private... still make all these things happen. This is very oh, okay. easy, right? This is not a problem. You know, it is my goal in life to find you the perfect woman. So, which, by the way, people, were, people said to me, like, oh, how come Ryan didn't congratulate you on your engagement? I was like, why is that such a big deal? Why does Ryan have to publicly congratulate me on my engagement? It was a a thing. (laughs) That's so ridiculous. I FaceTimed the day of. I lived it. So you guys FaceTimed me and it was like, hey, Kyle and I engage and congratulations to you both. Okay, before I let you go here, um, can we do rapid fire on celebrities here? Just just, as soon as I say the name, give me whatever. All right, Mario Lopez, go. Shit. Um, rapid, it has to be rapid fire. Oh my God, you caught me off guard already. Uh, Mario Lopez loves egg whites. Well. Loves egg whites. Okay, good. Beyonce. Untouchable. Have you met her? No. Like, oh. the, always from a distance. Like, never can get too close. Okay. Um, Taylor Swift, have you met her? Sweet. Very sweet. sweet. Did you meet her, though? Yeah. She's very sweet. Would you hang like she's out the with per- she, she will actually give you a great interview if there's not a bunch of people around her, like forcing and rushing her off to do the, the next thing. She's the girl that'll be like, um, oh, I like your whatever necklace and actually mean it. Mm. I don't know if she means it. You're not buying that? <laughs> and I think that's a really good, a really good trick. Um, but like when I see some, what's the trick? Just doing this thing that connects you. It's actually a very good personality trait. So real or unreal, I think that's that's good. But I've learned in some of these classes, these PR, I did this one thing once. Um, and it was kind of like, you need to find, it's almost like these tokens. You need to find something to make connections with people so they feel like it's always more sincere. So maybe she really no, likes your I, accessories I, or she's good at this. No, I don't disagree with that because I definitely have done that before. But what I'm trying to say is prove the point that she, she will say that and, and it appears that she means it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Did you, uh, I forget where you are on Kim Kardashian. Cause I'm sure you've had to run into her a million times or did she end up having like some different thing where she like would only talk to one of the Hollywood shows? 
No, I don't know what that was. Um, I'm all in on Kim Kardashian now. At first, I was like, oh, God, I'm over the Kardashians. But now I'm in on them. I'm in on them because here's the deal. If you can be relevant for this long and continue to reinvent yourself, like from a business standpoint, like I'm all in. Like you can say what you want, but tell me the last relevant, like like a restaurant that's been relevant for a decade and a half or a club. Like it is hard to remain relevant and newsworthy for that long. And they're laughing all the way to the bank on everything. So I'm all in on them. Okay. Let's, let's do some dudes there. Um, what? George Clooney. Do some dudes. The best. Literally the best. Like he's the guy. I'll never forget my first George Clooney experience is when he was promote. Was uh, must have been the Emmys, and he was promoting his tequila. And it was right when him and Amal got together before they got married, and she's standing there. And George, George, first name basis, George, Mario, and I were doing shots of tequila, and she looked at me with utter disgust, like you. Yes. Um, just because she was probably so like weirded out that I'm like sitting there throwing back to feel like she's so proper. So I'm like, sorry, uh, but he's lovely. And so then the next time I had to interview him, he's like, are you drunk again? I'm like, I don't know, George, maybe because I've been at Disneyland waiting to interview you for the last three hours. So yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's, that's like Disneyland. That's a possibility. Okay. Brad Pitt. Yeah. He's got that thing. He's got the thing like he, I've interviewed him a couple of times and every time it's like this, he walks out like all slow and confident and does the like, hey, just sexy. Okay. What about Leo? Leo can't be bothered, but this was when I was doing a junket and junkets are way worse than red carpets because junkets, you walk in and it's just a quiet room and there's all these people around. And he was cool, but I feel like he would have been cooler outside the room. It was more of like, oh, let's just hurry up and get this over with. Hmm. Anyone else? But I, like, I'd want to, I'd want to party with Leo. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Yeah, like get him. Like he's gonna like be on his best behavior because he knows he's got to get through these interviews. But if you get him outside of that, then if he's a good guy, obviously. Who's your favorite celebrity? Do we know this? My favorite celebrity. Uh... Mm, I just keep always hearing amazing things about John Hamm. Oh, John Hamm rules. He's just, we love John Hamm. Yeah. John Hamm last year at the Masters and I know he's, was there, there and right. we were singing Sail On with, with Scott Thompson, my father, obviously. My dad, John Hamm, and Lionel Richie. And there was maybe like 75 people. It was probably one of my favorite nights, not going to lie. And performing with, you know, my affinity for Lionel as it is. Yeah, we went out to dinner one night, and Lionel Lionel was there. So we were like, "Whoa, where?" This is, uh, this is. We were at Sunset Tower. We were all having dinner there one night, and Lionel rolled in, and then I saw him there a second time. So I was like, "All right, this must be his spot." I don't think I'm selling him out. I think in L.A., no one cares about it as much anymore. Um, favorite celebrity for me? Yeah, I I don't know. Like Simmons goes, "Hey, Ham's coming by again." I go, "Yeah, but what am I going to do?" Hey, do you think that it was weird that Joan sort of turned on you in season seven of Mad Men? Because I feel like that storyline was rushed a little bit. And he'll be like, all right, cool. By the cool. way, he wouldn't care. That's how great Johnny is. Johnny Bravo. <laughs> John, I can get here. Margo, Margo is, a, is, is a harder get in terms of like get her out and like hang out. John, I can get. We can, we can hang out in a social setting. That one's easy. Yeah, but then it feels like it's sort of a setup thing. It's like, hey, this guy really liked your TV show. 
like, all right. So I don't know. I don't know what to do there. He'd have to clean it up a little bit too. He was, he was, uh, that, that beard, he was like, he was doing the, I'm so hot. I'm going to look ugly thing. What, the Pitt does that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So some guys will do that. Uh, I used to kind of do it, but I wasn't ever that hot. So I would, when did you, you know, have a beard hair, like, like that? Well, uh, I've had a beard like that before. I was early on the beard thing. I'm going to say it right now. Oh, you were early on the beard thing. Oh, okay. Abraham yeah. Lincoln. Yeah. Age around of beards. So, but now at Equinox, like I look around and go, every single dude here has one. I don't know what to do. So, uh, I think that's it. I think that's it for us. Anything else that you wanted to say? No, you're just a wonderful friend and I love you so much. Thank you for inviting me. I, I do think it's really important what you said about Fox there because, you know, going through that um, as a friend with you and, and trying to help what Fox did, how they treated you, as you mentioned before, that was really, really special. And it's not the first time I've heard that about Fox once you're, once you're in that family. And I always, you know, if they ever, this gets, it's the kind of thing where like, I wish there were more people there that I don't know that don't know me that I could thank because of how they helped you through so much of that stuff. And without them, I don't know. That's no, I'm so serious, nice man. They, they, no, that's they really so nice of you to say. Like, I know I like joke about stuff that's serious because that's the way that I get through things, but it was, a really, really bad time in my life and a couple, you know, a bad stretch, but thankfully I had you and thank you know, for Fox and a couple other people that like got me through that. So thank you. And I love you dearly. You know that. All right. Love you too, Krista. I will talk to you very soon and we may even be doing an Oscars party. this. Yeah, we are. Somebody grab the sequence down and grow the beard immediately. Done. I may even shave my neck. Love you guys. Bye. Bye. All right, that was great with Carissa. I really enjoyed that. Just want to do a quick NBA thing, Golden State style here. But today's podcast is sponsored by ADT Commercial for Business. ADT Commercial serves businesses ranging from mid-sized organizations to large-scale enterprises. Think of them as a special team who has one focus, your business security. They provide a comprehensive line of security, fire, life, safety, and risk management solutions, professional-grade systems for commercial-grade businesses. With ADT Commercial, every day is game day. Fortune 1000 companies. Companies rely on ADT Commercial for highly complex, scalable, integrated solutions that help solve their unique business challenges. And if you're looking for a partner to upgrade or take over the monitoring and service of your current system, ADT Commercial can help to painlessly install and maintain large-scale and multi-site businesses. They make it easy to switch providers. Their onboarding is predictable, dependable, and painless. Schedule a no-obligation security review with ADT Commercial for Business. No pain. That's good in sports and good in business security. Visit ADT.com forward slash game day to learn more. That's ADT.com forward slash game day. Just updating everything that I have as of right now on the NBA trade deadline. The Capella thing is always kind of interesting because I feel like Houston looks at Capella and there were some really good numbers, by the way, uh, that, that just came down about Capella, like how much pick and roll they used to run a couple years ago versus less of it with, with having Paul and then Westbrook. So the Capella pick and roll where you're always kind of caught in between, like Capella really, really benefited from some of that. Some of the rebounding rate numbers aren't necessarily great, but he has some really good um Roll numbers. So basically, I, I'm telling you this. Like, I can find all sorts of Capella stuff, and the contract isn't even that bad. Where I could argue for him, but then also away from Harden, I'm not. I'm not quite sure what he is. Maybe Trey Young can figure that out. But the difference between Harden and so many other drivers is that Harden's got that big torso waist thing where he can survive that. Like, even though I like Steph better as a player, I don't really think it's much of an argument. 
Um, Steph can't drive and consistently drive the way Harden can, especially in the playoffs because of the size difference there. And Harden's threat on so many of those different things and him being a great passer and the way you just have to kind of defend him differently because of his shot creativity and some of the shots he hit again last night against the Hornets. And he's got, okay, like what are you supposed to do with this guy? Capella was always a great benefactor of that because you got caught in between against Harden a lot, but they don't run that stuff as much. And some of the rim protection numbers aren't great, but I get another team liking Capella and someone looking at this as like, hey, look, let's trade. It's the old Ainge rule. I'd rather trade for the player I know I'm getting right now than wait with cap space and free agency, realizing the chances are like most people are going to miss out on their targets. Okay. Ask the Knicks. The Malik Beasley thing, whatever. I know Minnesota's trying to revamp this whole deal here on the fly. Uh, I'd heard that in some of the Golden State, Minnesota, Russell dealings from people around the league, that Golden State was never in play for Covington because it felt like Minnesota knew they were going to move Covington somewhere else. And that's exactly what happened. Houston has an issue now at center. I'll wait to see what the deadline buyout market is before I start going. Is it really going to work with uh, the limited depth that they have up front? But Capella was somebody that you know becomes in some of these playoff series where there are bigs that they're not constant liabilities, but they become liabilities in some games the way the matchups work out. And that definitely happened with Capella, uh, where Golden State was like, good, keep him out there. So, you know, maybe that's just projecting in the playoffs and hoping to go five, but I don't think, you know, P.J. Tucker is going to be able to be your center for 40 minutes a night during the playoffs. I would doubt that, but they, uh, they did get Jordan Bell in that move. So if you just go over to the Houston part of it, you get Covington Bell. Um, you're still going to have to figure out another big body there at some point, I'd imagine, just because of different playoff matchups and they get a future second round pick. I feel like Covington's actually become a little overrated throughout this entire thing. I like him. I don't love him, um, but... They're loading up perimeter style here and, and trying to stretch you out even more. Hey, do you have a lot of shooting? Cool. Add more shooting. That's what that feels like. And, um, you know, if you were really that good, wouldn't Minnesota want to keep them? <laughs> I don't know. The Hawks get Capella in this deal. Makes sense. Like I said before, Minnesota gets Beasley, who's going to want a big contract, and that's why it was never going to work out in Denver. Uh, Hernan Gomez, who I actually like in spots. Jared Vanderbilt, Evan Turner. And they get a protected first-round pick from Atlanta that's through Brooklyn, which was something that Golden State wanted. I'll get to the Golden State part of this here in a second. That just feels like moving a bunch of pieces around. I, I really like Covington's better than any one of those single guys that they got, but do they get enough now to grab Russell in a Wiggins deal? Um, and then finally, Denver. You know, Shabazz Napier probably shouldn't be a starter. Noah Vonley, who you've probably forgotten about. They did get the Rockets' 2020 first-round pick, and then uh, Bates Diop and Gerald Green. So, you know. They ended up getting a first basically here for Beasley is what this is. This is just an unbelievable trade of just, huh, what, what is it? What is it again? Like what really happened here? So I like the Hawks part of it, probably the best out of the whole deal. Now what the Timberwolves are trying to do, and I'd heard, and this is really dangerous because you say it and then you go, all right, it could be totally wrong by the time it's posting. So let's just make sure. But well, Golden State was looking for picks luxury tax avoidance deal where they could just do looney to get out the number isn't huge it's it's like four million or so to get under that luxury tax repeater thing but i never believed from talking to people around the league that there was a mandate that golden state absolutely had to trade d'angelo russell and absolutely get under that that tax to avoid the repeater thing i mean the repeater thing's nasty between the tax bill where it used to be a dollar for a dollar when you're past 20 million over the luxury tax it turns into like four dollars and 50 cents per dollar you're over the tax 
and then another 50 cents for each 5 million, you're beyond 20 million over the tax. Like it gets really brutal where you start looking at a team who, by the way, is the worst in the NBA right now because of the injuries and saying 300 million for this. Like what owner would be like, yeah, we're cool. We're cool. But again, only what's been shared with me is that there was never a mandate. We have to, we have to, we have to avoid that. So that's why anybody calling on D'Angelo Russell, not to say that he wouldn't be moved, it was, you know, we're not operating from this weakened position that you may think that we are if you're Golden State on the phone. So any deal for Russell to Minnesota would have had to have been Wiggins, who, and I know this is surprising, but if you were to say on the scale of 1 to 10, like how excited would Golden State be for getting somebody like Wiggins, who we have to check his pulse every now and then in games, I thought maybe it'd be a 2 out of 10. The sense I get, it's kind of like a 5 out of 10, maybe even a 6 where positionally he fits better because they're worried about what their forward situation is going to be next year, especially small forward. So maybe they look at Wiggins as somebody that'd be a better catch-and-shoot guy with them. Um, He has started to pass the basketball more than he did earlier when he was just sort of this guy who wanted to drive on everybody all the time because I actually thought that he was going to be that and was going to work and be effective, but it wasn't, and it hasn't been. But Golden State is not as turned off to the three years and $100 remaining for somebody that looks like um, going into this year, maybe had the worst contract in the league. Um, I don't know if he's the worst, but you know, look, if the five most untradeable, and then those guys always end up getting traded. So don't write off the Wiggins thing because Golden State have no interest, but they still would have to do a Wiggins deal that then got them under that repeater tax, and they were getting back some kind of picks because the argument would be Wiggins is the lesser player uh, than a Russell. I don't know if the gap is actually as massive. As, as most people would, I think most people would disagree with me and say, are you kidding me? D'Angelo Russell's so much better than Andrew Wiggins. Russell had a great redemption thing to his career. He was a different player than he was in college, than he was in a very ISO heavy, you know, last two years in, in Brooklyn. But the second year with the Nets, it actually worked where I thought it was sort of gross two years ago. Um, so that's kind of where it's at. And this deal does not prevent any kind of Russell Wiggins thing happening. But if you're saying... They have to get Russell done. And I'm not saying Russell won't be traded. I just don't believe that it has to happen. I don't think there's like a steadfast rule that this thing absolutely has to happen. And remember, if Russell does get traded, the way Golden State looks at this is pretty clear. It's that, um, you know, Durant was going to be gone no matter what, and they were going to get nothing back for it. So whatever they did in the Russell sign and trade to keep that asset, whatever they were going to get whatever they would get for Russell, whether it's before the deadline or say this summer around the draft where they could pair him and a top pick because of their record. And maybe there's somebody that's more enticing. There will be another superstar that will want out probably by this summer that none of us can name right now or predict. Uh, I don't think it's Carl Anthony Towns, which is one of the main reasons Minnesota wants to bring Russell to pair with him. But anything that they get back, a couple picks, two firsts, say that tax relief, all of that is thought of as a plus because it's more than the zero that they were going to get by just letting Durant walk. So Bill and I, were going to probably do a two-plus-hour trade deadline spectacular pod, so I'll be headed up to the studios on Thursday to do that one. I hope everybody has a great rest of the day and can't, can't wait until tomorrow. A lot of fun. Please subscribe, rate, and review to the Ryan Rosillo Podcast on the Ringer Network and tell all of your friends. 